the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The person who hangs in there with Jesus may look like he or she is in trouble and an outcast, may to all the world seem to be a nobody and a nothing, but really he or she is in a living state of grace if they persevere to glory. That's Pastor Michael Oxentanko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Mike's message today is entitled The Church of Philadelphia and the Call to Perseverance. That's the Church of Philadelphia and the Call to Perseverance. If you've been listening to these broadcasts, you know that you can find them online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentanka with the conclusion to a message we started the last time we were together entitled, The Church of Philadelphia and the Call to Perseverance. Here's Pastor Mike. The group that weathered the great disappointment of 1844 came to understand that we are living in the judgment hour of human history. They came to understand that Jesus is preparing his people on earth for his return. And as he is doing a work in the heavenly sanctuary above, we are to work for Christ and winning others to Christ. Luke 19, verse 12. Here's the parable that kind of pulls it all together. Christ said, a nobleman went into a far off country to receive his kingdom. And then what does the text say? Then return. Now analyze that. Who's the nobleman? A son of noble birth. That's Christ. God the Father is the King. He went into a far off country. That's not earth, that's heaven. When Christ died, he rose from the dead. Did he stay here? No. He ascended to heaven. And this parable is very clear. He went there to that far off country for the purpose to receive a kingdom and then return. Now you have the entire book of Daniel in that one verse. In the parable, Jesus receives his kingdom in that far off country of heaven before he returns at the end of time in the clouds of glory at the second coming. In other parables, Jesus called the receiving of his kingdom the marriage. Same event. Conforming to the pattern of an ancient Jewish wedding, Jesus laid it out so the simplest person could understand it if they would just follow the sequence. In a Jewish wedding, the bridegroom would come to the bride's house and there would be like a hoopla, this canopy over their head. And the purpose of that essentially was to become betrothed to the bride. So Jesus came to earth the pillar of fire and cloud that led Israel. Finally, Christ came to his own people. He was betrothed to his bride. He then left for his father's house to get married to his bride, as this parable indicates. And in the parable here, we find that he left. In an ancient Jewish wedding, only the groom would go to the father's house. The bride would have to stay at home while the marriage occurred. Does that sound very romantic to you? 
Imagine that. You know, you go to your father's house. The groom comes there. They get married. You're at home. It happens sometime when you're at home. And then you're waiting for him to come back to tell you you're married and then take you away. So when he returns after the marriage, Christ will come for his bride to take his bride home to the father's house, just like a Jewish wedding. And there the marriage feast will follow the marriage without her being there. So it goes like this. The betrothal occurs with the bride. The groom goes to the father's house, gets married. The bride stays at her house. He comes back to get her and then takes her to the father's house for the marriage feast. So the nobleman went into a far-off country to receive his kingdom. Christ went to the judgment of the future in the father's house alone to be married to the future, to be married to his kingdom for the judgment to occur, then to come back for his church. Now, it may not sound romantic, but that's how it worked then, and that's how it works with Jesus. You just kind of got to stick with the program. Jesus knows what's going on. Christ will come to receive his bride after the marriage when he receives his kingdom in the judgment, which is the marriage, in the presence of the Father. So you put it together. Christ taught it clearly. The book of Daniel taught it clearly too. There must be a pre-advent judgment in heaven, which is the marriage of the Lamb. Afterwards, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb when Jesus comes for the church. Now, most Christians don't even get it that there's a marriage in heaven called the pre-advent judgment and that Christ receives his kingdom one name at a time by confessing the persons who belong to him. He will confess one name at a time before the angels and his father. And when he is done, his kingdom will be given to him. After the great disappointment of 1844, some of these Millerites came to understand what was happening in heaven. Revelation 3.8 is very clear here. Jesus says, you have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Now, the word of God is the Bible. It's amazing. There are churches today, and I'm not trying to be critical here, but this is a fact. You say, well, you know, I got the Holy Spirit. I don't need the Bible. God spoke to the apostles, but I have a rhema. He speaks to me. Now, I believe in rhemas that God can speak to people. I'm not nullifying that. But he doesn't speak to you to contradict the Bible. If he speaks to you to contradict the Bible, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have another spirit. And Christ tells here the church of Philadelphia, you've kept my word, which means you've been faithful to the Bible. And the group that became a global movement out of the great disappointment of 1844 is highly committed to the Bible in the spirit of the Reformation, sola scriptura. Christ also says, you have not denied my name. Now, the name of God in the Bible is just another way of saying the law of God. I mean, God's law and God's name are exactly the same thing. 1 Kings 8, verse 9. Let me prove it to you. 1 Kings 8, 9. There was nothing in the ark except what? What does it say? The two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a what? A covenant with the people of Israel. Now, in Deuteronomy 4, 13, it says the Ten Commandments were written on those two tables of stone. And look at 2 Samuel 6, 2. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God. Now that's the ark that contained the Ten Commandments. And notice what it says, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. The ark of the covenant that contains the law of God, the Ten Commandment law of God was called by the name of God. So God's law and God's name are the same thing. The group that weathered the great disappointment of 1844, they came to understand as they were humbled through disappointment that God's temple in heaven was open for the judgment, the marriage of the Lamb. 
And that Jesus entered the most holy place to receive his kingdom from his Father in this pre-advent judgment. And afterwards, he would come for his bride and there would be a marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. What they experienced as a great disappointment was in fact the beginning of the marriage in heaven in the judgment hour of human history. And so they were convinced and motivated that God had led them through this awful experience so that they could keep all of God's commandments and share the love of Jesus with a world that needs to be prepared for the second coming of Christ. The Bible records what occurred in heaven when this marriage began in the 1840s. Turn with me to Revelation 11. Let's look at verse 15. We have about one, two, three, four, five verses describing what happened at the marriage when this prophecy was fulfilled. The Bible says the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices where? What does the text say? On earth or in heaven? So we're not looking here on earth. We're looking in heaven. This is the seventh trumpet because it's just before the end of time. So something is happening in heaven with loud voices saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. and He shall reign forever and ever. Now what did Luke say? A nobleman went into a far off country to receive his kingdom and then returned. Here it is. It's happening in heaven. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and they worship God. I mean, heaven is happy about the marriage that's going on. Verse 7, saying, we give thanks to thee, Lord God Almighty, who art and who wast, that thou hast taken thy great power and begun to reign. Now, it's very clear in the context, this is not the end of history. This is just before the end of time. Something is happening in heaven as the world is falling apart. Look at verse 18. The nations raged, but thy wrath came. 1848, the great revolutions of Europe, is the rise of nationalism because the old order has collapsed. And as this glorious event is occurring in heaven, the world is falling apart. We have the rise of nationalism, which will give us World War I, World War II, the war on terror in the world in which we live, which is fractured and disjointed. The nations raged, but thy wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, for rewarding thy servants, the prophets and saints. Christ told the church of Sardis that he would confess their names before the Father and the holy angels. How can you give someone a reward if there's not a judgment? And so in heaven, the time came for the dead to be judged, but not just any dead. For rewarding thy servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear thy name, both small and great, and finally to destroy those who destroy the earth. So a lot happens because of this judgment. Now it's very clear here, the dead means the past. The righteous dead, it moves to the living, those who fear thy name, both small and great. Now look at verse 19. Here's the key verse. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. Are you looking at that verse? And what was seen there? The ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. Now what room is the ark of the covenant in? Most holy place. So the door to the most holy place was opened. In this heavenly marriage, this judgment in the 1840s, And the Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, voices, peals of thunder, and earthquake and heavy hell. The end comes as a result of that heavenly event. Jesus told the church of Philadelphia, I have set before you an open door, which no man can shut. When they looked inside that sanctuary in heaven by reading their Bibles in the book of Revelation, they discovered right there in Revelation 11, 19, there is an Ark of the Covenant in heaven. And since there is an Ark of the Covenant in heaven, it means the Ten Commandments are in heaven. No reason to have it up there if the Ten aren't inside the box. 
And so they started keeping all of the Ten Commandments, not just nine, but ten commandments, including the fourth commandment. They thought the Sabbath was Sunday until they read the fourth commandment that is right there inside the Ten Commandments. I mean, Sunday is the first day of the week. They did something they'd never done before. They just read the Ten Commandments, and they made the connection that they're in that box in the heavenly sanctuary. Now, how in the world could they be a part of Christ's coming kingdom, they asked themselves, and willfully set aside one of those Ten Commandments that is inside the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place in heaven? So they read Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Jesus praised the church of Philadelphia for following the Bible and not denying his name. That indicates that the church of Philadelphia would be obedient to all of God's Ten Commandments. The church of Philadelphia represents end-time believers who came out or who have been influenced by this great Millerite awakening, who want Jesus to return. They're not satisfied with tradition. They're not satisfied with human beings telling them what to believe. They want to follow the Bible and go home to glory. Jesus predicted that the Millerite movement would have a direct bearing on the final test, which is the mark of the beast test that is coming on the whole world just before Jesus returns. You know, people say mark of the beast. Oh, that's just silly talk. Friend, The mark of the beast is coming soon. It's coming sooner than we think in this church. And we are living at a time when the very people of God who should know these things is woefully unprepared for them. It is time to get our Bibles out, to get engaged with Christ, to surrender to Bible truth, to be like those Millerites in attitude. Revelation 3.10, Christ says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience or perseverance, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. The word patience or perseverance is used here because Jesus didn't come in the year 1844. And so those who would be ready when he does come must have patience. They must wait for the coming of Jesus without time prophecies or dates. They must rely on Jesus and be consistent. They must be patient with themselves, patient with God, and patient in service so others can be saved. Perseverance is needed for faith to find the glory prize at the end. Verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man can take thy crown. In Revelation 3.10, Jesus told the church of Smyrna that he would give them a crown, that they would be faithful unto death. In contrast, Jesus tells the church of Philadelphia to hold on to your crown, implying that the hour of God's judgment has come and God is giving crowns to Jesus. You now have what they wanted. It's happening in a heavenly judgment. Don't let go of your crown. The marriage has come. One name at a time, there will be a crown as Jesus confesses the names of his people before the Father and the angels. And his people should never let their crown go. Revelation 14, 9 to 11, the mark of the beast warning will be given to the whole world, and then Jesus will come. Christ says, I'll keep you from the hour of trial. Friend, the great test is coming, and Jesus tells the church of Philadelphia that he will keep them from that hour. Hang on and hold on to your crown. Have you ever felt like you can't live through the mark of the beast? It's just going to be too hard for you. You ever felt that? Now, what I like about the church of Philadelphia, God says you have a little power. You're not a superstar believer. You're not made of magical strength in you. You have a little power. It's not you that's important. It's what you do with your little faith you have. You've not denied my word and my name. You're going to make it. 
We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. Friend, the secret to success is not being strong. The secret to success is not letting go. Just hanging on to Christ, letting Him grow you and holding on to you. And you will make it to the end. Revelation 14, 12, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. To keep God's word means to obey the gospel and have the faith of Jesus. To not deny his name means to keep the Ten Commandments, all ten of them. Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia, you have not denied my name, so I will keep you from the hour of trial coming on the whole world. You see, if you're committed to God's word, if you're trying your best to live for Christ, yeah, you may be stumbling at times, God is not going to let you be lost. Because if you are persevering your faith to grow in God, God will hold on to you. Revelation 14, 14. Perseverance leads to the glory of the advent. Then I looked and lo, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Friend, Jesus is coming. And Jesus tells the church of Philadelphia to keep on keeping his word and to keep on not denying his name. The Millerites were shut out from their churches because they wanted Jesus to return in an era when many people in the churches of North America didn't want Jesus to return. They didn't want to hear anything about prophecy in the pulpit. Sociologists tell us that the Millerites became the church of the disinherited. So where does the church of the disinherited go when they can no longer go to church without denying God's name? Where do they go if they want to really keep his word and obey his law And they don't want to just talk the talk. They want to walk the walk. They want to walk into glory land. Where do they go? Because they kept God's word and they did not deny his name. They were pushed out of the mainline churches that were the children of the Reformation. So where do they go? Friend, if you have the experience of the church of Philadelphia, you are going home to heaven where Jesus lives. You are going home to glory. You may be the laughing stock of the Christian world, and it doesn't matter to God. If you keep God's word and you don't deny his name by setting aside his holy law, if you hold on to the faith of Jesus, the apostolic gospel, you are going to heaven because heaven is already inside your head right down here. At first they met in homes until they could organize and grow to prepare their world for the coming of Jesus Christ. Fifty people who weathered the great disappointment of 1844 has now become a movement of 20 million people in every nation on the face of earth. There are only two global churches in the world. The group that came out of Millerism is one of the two. A 20 million person movement emerged from the ashes of the great disappointment of 1844, aglow with the light of the coming of Jesus Christ, committed to his word, faithful to his name, his holy law. Revelation 3.12, he who conquers... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. The person who is not ashamed of God's law, who loves Jesus with an undivided heart and keeps his word, will receive the seal of the living God on his forehead. The name of the Father, the name of the Lamb will be written right there on the forehead. They will be sealed. Revelation 7, 2, Then I saw another angel ascend from the rising of the sun to seal the living God. He called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God upon their foreheads. Revelation 14, 1, Then I looked, and lo, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name his Father's name written on their foreheads. What is inside the Ark of the Covenant in heaven that will be inside your head and on your forehead if you love Jesus? What is it? What is inside that Ark that is so important that must go in your mind and on your forehead? Friend, God's name is God's law. The Bible is clear about this. Jesus gave us the law at Sinai. He was the rock that led Israel in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul makes very clear in 1 Corinthians 10. And Jesus died because we all broke that law. We have all had the hammer in our hand that has laid hold of the law and we have broken it. His blood atoned for the sin of a broken law that a broken God gave because God's law and God are one. God signed in blood the contract of the new covenant with his own name. And that name was in the Son of God. It was the name of God that wrote the promise for the future. And if you love Jesus, friend, you will keep his name close to your heart by faith forever. The new covenant is God's act of taking that Ten Commandment law and writing it right there on your heart, inside your head, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not returning. I'll make this very clear. He's not returning for a disobedient church that willfully sets aside the Ten Commandment law of God. Jesus is coming for a church with his name written on their foreheads. In Revelation 3.12, Jesus tells the church of Philadelphia that he will write on them the name of the new Jerusalem that comes out of heaven to earth at the end of the millennium in Revelation 21.2. Let's look at the verse, Revelation 3.12. He says, I'll write on you the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God of heaven, and my own new name. So what is the name that has promised the church of the disinherited that came out of the great disappointment of 1844, that chose to not deny God's name by keeping all of his commandments, by looking in the ark in the most holy place and saying, yep, we're going to keep the fourth one too. What is the name of the city that will be written on those who had no church because they wanted to go home to glory? What is that name? Where will they belong? And what will be the name of the city of God that is coming down? The answer for the name of the new Jerusalem is given in Exodus 38-35. To that church that looked up and belonged to a future land. To that church that longed for the glorious city to come. They will have the name of that city. To the church that was thrown out of other churches because it wanted Jesus to return. That was the seed for a global movement that would span the globe. To the church that held on to the Bible until it got it right and began to obey as God requires us to as Christians obey. The name of the new Jerusalem will be their name. And it will be written on those who have persevered through the disappointment, who persevered for the delay, through the hour of testing that is coming on the whole world in the mark of the beast. Ezekiel 48.35, here's the answer. The name of the city henceforth shall be, the Lord is there. 
What is church? Isn't it a place where God is at? Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The name of the city will be the Lord is there. It doesn't matter what the whole world thinks, friend, as we near the end. It only matters what Jesus thinks. So what is perseverance? Remember the definition we got from Google? Continuance in a state of grace leading finally to a state of glory. And when you persevere and you follow Jesus and you keep God's word with an undivided heart and you choose not to deny his name by keeping all Ten Commandments, not as a legalist, but as someone who loves Jesus, you can be assured that the Lord is there. Christ is coming for a people who cling to the cross and who obey him by faith. And there is no war between law and gospel for that final generation. And when the sky is split wide open on the last day, and earth's last day has come, the church of the disinherited will finally go home when Jesus comes. Then they will see their Lord a coming in a little while. Revelation 1.7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, everyone who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will well on account of him. Even so, amen. Well, amen. And that concludes the message Pastor Mike entitles The Church of Philadelphia and the Call to Perseverance. You can find this message online at reachingyourheart.com. Worship services are Saturdays at 11 o'clock. And if you would like to attend in person at the church, we would love for you to do that. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart.